Mm. I remember that skull sword. Skull sword. Yeah. Remember skull the skull sword. sword. <laughs> skull sword. Skull sword. Do you have it? Nope. Oh, you stick your Remember that. Uh, right. Good job, Mike. <laughs> what did we learn? I almost caught bluffing him. What, what did we learn? What did we learn? We learn one out of five times I'll bluff. That's what <laughs> Welcome to Which Game First, where we explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we hit the sub-Saharan watering holes while avoiding the brush fires in Savannah Park. Next up, into prehistoric waters we dive to stay alive and thrive in Dominant Species Marine. And lastly, roll them bones on a dead man's chest in Bluffoneer Dice Game. I'm your Captain Celeste Angelus, along with me hearties at sea and on dry land, Evan Bernstein. Ahoy! Mike Grenier. Land ho! And Ed Povolitis. Let's go get the booty. <laughs> <laughs> I like how somebody changed around the order that I announce everybody's name. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> Did that happen? <laughs> yes. Oh, we ch- changed Ed and Mike? Yeah, yeah Mike usually sure does. Why. Oh, yeah. yeah. The I wrote credit. it in from scratch, so that's that's. Oh, why. you did? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was blank, so apologize. <laughs> I thought there was some sort of and ending credit argument between Mike and Ed. Yeah, me and Ed, <laughs> me and Ed had you a w- fist fight over, and Ed won surprisingly. <laughs> so, <laughs> My, Mike's pride isn't hurt too badly. No, I'm good. <laughs> Our first game up this week is Savannah Park, designed by Michael Kiesling and Wolfgang Kramer. Published by Deep Print Games and Capstone Games Family in 2021. Number of players, 1 to 4, ages 8 and up. Playtime, 20 to 40 minutes. All right, Mikey G, tell us what's in this box. The cover of the box sets the scene with a noble meerkat standing proudly upon his rocky perch, surveying his kingdom as giraffes, gazelle, and zebras gather around the local watering hole. Inside, you'll see four parks, four folding boxes, 168 tiles, one scoreboard, four meerkats, four rangers, and four lions for the variant. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we tell you if this game is ranger danger, Evan, grab your binoculars and (laughs) spot us some rules. All right, Celeste. In Savannah Park, each player is in charge of their own wildlife park. The goal is to group animals with their own kind. You're going to herd these animals. Each player starts the game with the same set of 33 unique animal tiles, with those tiles laid out at random on your personal wildlife park. On your turn, name a specific face-up tile that all players must pick up, flip face down, then move to a different empty space within their own park. Tiles that have been flipped cannot move again, and once all tiles have moved, the game ends with a scoring round. Beware the brush fires! They're going to scare animals away to start the scoring round. You receive points for uncovered spaces containing trees and grass. Count your animals in herds and multiply the number by the watering holes among that herd. For example, a herd of five rhinos and three watering holes is worth 5 times 3, 15 points. Player with the most points 
wins. I'm looking forward to what everyone has to say about this game because I've heard so much about Savannah oh, Park. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I can always count on you for those good puns. Oh, You're man. welcome. <laughs> well, you guys played this game as your teach and play mm-hmm. at yeah. PAX Unplug. How did that go, Mike and Ed? Cool. It was cool. I think they call it learn and play. It's a learn and play. But we, we're teaching teach and, and we're learning. Yeah, teach and play. We right, sort of okay. do both. We sort of learn and we sort of teach it. <laughs> <laughs> that makes so, sense. Yeah. We didn't even see this game until we actually got to PAX and they had a copy of it. And I was panicking, you know, because I'm like, I'm supposed to teach a room full of people how to play this game. I've never seen it before. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it turns out it's uh, not super hard to learn, actually, once you put the board out in front of you. Yeah, um, it was pretty easy to learn uh, the concept is to you take a tile and flip it over and move it and once you move every single tile on the board you will move all of them mm-hmm. the game is over yeah and you're taking turns with each each player calling out like i want to move the two zebra tile so each tile is unique and it has a certain number of animals or a mix of animals it could, so it could be one solo giraffe or it could be three zebras something right. like that What's the purpose of the hex tile, a hex shape for these tiles? Because hexes are better than squares, Celeste. That's what the purpose <laughs> exactly. is. Always, That's always, the reason. Always. Right. <laughs> but they're so much better than squares that I want to know in which particular way they're better for this game. Well, a hex has more sides on it, and you're trying to make lines and groupings of the different, you know, the matching types of animals. So if it only had four sides on it, it would be, you'd have less things that you can match to each tile and uh, Mm -hmm. you also you'd have to worry about diagonals and stuff with hexes it's beautiful you just go by each flat side you have six sides to work with and that's why hexes in all ways and especially (laughs) in this game are superior (laughs) agree to make the definition of adjacent easy yeah Mm -hmm. so like on when you start the game most of the spaces are filled except for some of your grass spaces and the middle rock and a couple of other spaces on the board are left empty. Like the trees. Yeah, the trees. And those are the only places you can actually move things to. So when I call out an animal, you have to move that specific one to an empty space. All right, and it can't be the place you just pull it off from. That's what the Maricat is for. You yeah. put the little Maricat in the space, you just remove the tile, so to remind yourself, you can't put it back there. Oh, mm-hmm. clever. Right. And it's uh, really more important than you think. It's so easy in your mind to pick up a tile. And then see that empty space. Oh, well, that's the perfect space for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, if it wasn't for the Meerkat, we wouldn't have ever gotten the places, uh, the pieces down to the right places. I have to say the production values of the game were very impressive. I love how, now, when I, we first open up the box and I see the four talk boxes in there with all your pieces. It's like, wow, that's easy. Just give each player their own personal talk box and it has everything they need to play. Um, so how many people did you teach this game to? Wow, was it 25, 30? 30 people in a room? Yeah, yeah, it was at least yeah, about 25 to 30. A few families came in there, which was really cool to see uh, a family all playing it together and really loving the game. And uh, the publishers of the game actually gave out almost enough copies for each table. (laughs) (laughs) We had to kind of, I kind of did a a little competition at each table to decide who to give them out to. So how long did the session go? Uh, The entire session was about 90 minutes and we did two games in that time. Yeah, we did two different games. The first one was a shorter game that I think that we reviewed uh, with Grant, actually. 
that yeah tiger stripes yeah tiger stripes and uh and this one and they were done early for both like some people played twice because this is a really quick game once you get rolling so this game says it plays 20 to 40 minutes is that an overestimate I think your first time around, that's about right. Maybe a little longer, and then your second time, probably shorter than that. Um, mm. Once you learn what to do, it, it kind of goes quickly. Although, you do get paralyzed sometimes, but you don't have too many choices to at least choose between, so that helps. Yeah, at the end of the game, you start running out of choices really fast, but in the middle, it's like, okay, where do I go, and what am I doing, where am I... Like I want to keep the water and hold over here, but avoid the burning bushes if I can. And What's the deal with the burning bushes? Okay, there are spots with burning bushes on them, and there's a, a spot with one, two, or three burning bushes. And if you, say, have the triple animal spot next to a triple burning bush, they get removed from the board before scoring. Mm-hmm. Right, but it only, but it's not like you know a, a triple burning bush doesn't burn a single animal. It only Correct. burns a triple animal spot. So right. if you place them carefully around each burning bush, you're okay. But you got to be really careful because if you have a nice long string of like let's say rhinos going, and you know it connects all through the board, and then one spot gets oh, taken you away, you could lose your connection. Yeah, you break the connection and you lose oh. all those other points, and you only score for the highest grouping. Oh, so it's like yeah, yeah. That would be frustrating. Oh, it'd be so it's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and also maybe it broke away that watering hole. You're supposed you're supposed to get another two multiplier, but uh, no, it's yeah. not oh, no, anymore. it's brutal. <laughs> so there's there's one piece on the board. It's it has basically all of the animals on it, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like I call it like the wild tile, you know. And it's hard to decide when to to move that tile somewhere. I think it'd be interesting to move it, you call it out, and move it early and put it towards the center of the board somewhere if possible, because then it's easy to build around it. Uh, I think that's it with the strategy of this game. Is like, you don't get to decide when to move each tile. Everybody takes a turn deciding which tile to be moved, and kind of bingo style, because it's kind of neat to say, all right, two zebras, everybody pick up your two zebras yeah. and move it. <laughs> Yeah. So it's kind of like one of the interesting things you can do strategically is instead of choosing what tile, like to move a tile to somewhere, you can decide when to move a tile when you want to vacate a spot. You know, like I need to get this tile out of this area so that when somebody else moves the piece I want over here, I'll have the space to put it there. I've done that. It's like, okay, I need that spot empty. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's, it's kind of looks really simple, but there's plenty of strategy to go around in this game. And you also are relying on other people's decisions that they make. And do you find yourself saying, oh, I want just one more empty spot. If I only had one <laughs> oh, more empty oh, hex, I'd be so yeah. much yeah, better. And also I find myself, no, I'm not ready to move them yet. No. <laughs> yeah, that one happens all <laughs> oh, the time. I am oh, not bang. ready to go yet. <laughs> I love the look of the tuck boxes too. The the pictures mm-hmm. on the tuck boxes are adorable. They're very, you know, they're illustrated with animals on the boxes themselves. Yeah. So what do you guys think of the score tracker being a separate board? Necessary? Uh, you don't need it until the end. So it's uh, probably necessary to have the score tracker because you're scoring up a whole bunch of different animals and points. So it's like, okay, everybody, let's count up your elephant. Okay, now everybody, let's count up your zebras. And all right, now it's time for the giraffe. 
I think it's cool to have it separate because now everybody's on that same board and at the end of the game you see the excitement of everybody like catching up to each other on the scoreboard and <laughs> yeah. the score oh, changing yeah, I constantly. Can see that. Sure. Yeah, so. Sure. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Savannah Park. Ed? This park is attractive, cute, and fun to play. The bingo-style turns keep everybody active each turn. So I'll dig this up for my next trip to the savannah. Mike? This game will definitely play differently every time, which is a plus. I really love replayability. Um, It isn't one of my go-tos, I would say, but it's an interesting enough challenge slash puzzle that I think I would uh, dig it up. Why is that mirror cat standing up? Let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and the Instagram. Breaking announcement, everybody. Evan, this just in. Tell us all about it. Thank you, Celeste. Yes, there is a breaking announcement starting now this year, 2022. Which Game First is taking over your Thursdays. Yes, clear every Thursday on your calendar for the rest of the year and beyond because you're going to be with us. Patrons, you know all about our exclusive podcast that we produce just for you called... Bonus 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 Points. Well, we've kicked it up a notch in 2022, and now we are recording our Bonus Points podcast live, bi-weekly, on Thursdays, 6.15 p.m. Eastern U.S. time. That's when we take the stage on our Discord server. And you, our patrons, whom we adore with all our hearts and our clubs Mm -hmm. and our diamonds and our spades, too, (laughs) you will be able to hear us live as we record the show. You'll hear everything that each of us here at Which Game First also hears. Mm. The pre-production check, the exciting (laughs) NASA-like countdown to recording, the audio track synchronization. All the mistakes, every gaffe, yeah, yes. every <laughs> right. retake, possibly every accidental swear. No, oh, the colorful language, like <laughs> words like green and red and cyan. Oh my gosh, so colorful. The most colorful language ever spoken by game explorers. Mm-hmm. So once again, alternating Thursday nights, 6.15 p.m. Eastern U.S. time zone. And of course, it's only $3 a month to unlock this podcasting super experience by becoming a patron. So please go to our website and click become a patron today. We so very, very much appreciate it. And we also appreciate all of our listeners, our entire audience, both patrons and non-patrons. Absolutely. (laughs) Any and all ears that we can have listening to us enjoy the games as much as you enjoy gaming, that is our goal at Which Game First. Thanks for listening, everyone. Our next game up this week is Dominant Species Marine, designed by Chad Jensen, published by GMT Games in 2021. Number of players 2 to 4, ages 14 and up, playtime 1 to 3 hours. Oh, Mike, <laughs> tell us what is in this box. <laughs> this box cover discloses dangerous denizens of the deep, darting, diving, and displaying deadly dentures to defend their domicile and display dominance. When we dive deeper, we discover a rule book, a game board, four animal displays representing reptiles, cephalopods, fishes, and crustaceans. 54 cards for traits, evolutions, and a special survival card. 
12 small hex tiles, 36 large hex tiles, 30 square markers, 16 square terrain markers, 6 element markers, 4 animal victory point markers, 4 blank tiles, whew, 6 special <laughs> pawn markers, 114 element tokens to represent the sun, worms, plankton, gastropods, sponges, and algae, mm -hmm. 6 white wooden cylinders, a sheet of stickers for the white wooden cylinders, 32 wooden cylinders that are not white, I guess. <laughs> 140 wooden cubes and two cloth bags, a white one and a red one. And that is what is in this ginormous box. <laughs> well, before we tell you if this game swims or sinks, Evan, dive right in and tell us those rules. <laughs> Dominant Species Marine. It is a worker placement game where each player assumes the role of one of four major aquatic-based animal classes. Reptiles, fish, cephalopods, or crustaceans. The goal is to outperform the other classes by accumulating prehistoric victory points. <laughs> PvPs. I made that up. It's really just victory <laughs> points. I just like... I PvPs. Yeah, sure. A little bit of PvPs. style. Now, being that this is a GMT game... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you'd die of starvation before I could get through all the rules of the game. So I'm going to give you the broadest of broad strokes. Uh, you have to attempt to thrive in as many different habitats as possible in order to claim powerful effects. The habitat in this game is the prehistoric ocean from over 60 million years in Earth's past. Large hexagonal tiles are used throughout the game to create an ever-expanding interpretation of the ocean. The action pawns drive the game. Each pawn allows a player to perform the various actions that can be taken, such as speciation, environmental change, migration, or evolution. That's just four of an abundance of things you can do. <laughs> when placed on the action display, a pawn will immediately trigger that particular action for its owning player. All the while, you'll need to propagate your individual species in order to earn victory points for your animal. You will be aided in these endeavors via speciation, migration, and adaption actions, among many others. When the game ends, players will conduct the final scoring of each tile and score their controlled special pawns, after which the player controlling the animal with the highest victory point total wins the game and becomes the dominant marine species. Dominant dun, dun, dun. species. Okay, so I know we're in trouble when the back of the game box has six paragraphs of text. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not standard for a GMP game, but yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I was oh, yeah. wondering that when it says on the box one to three hours, are they mm -hmm. talking about setup time or playing time? <laughs> There's a ton of components in this. I, mm -hmm. How many rule books were in the box? One. This is one. a relatively light GMT game, so there's only <laughs> yes, one rule book. It's it light for GMT, is. yeah. How, how many pages <laughs> was the rule book? It, it had some density to it. It was pretty yeah. thick. Yeah. It's probably about <laughs> 24 have pages. It handy. I think it was about 20 pages. Yeah, around there. <laughs> okay. All right. 20 pages of rules. I will say this. The cards look lovely. Mm -hmm. um, GMT has really stepped up their game as far as art goes for um, their games in the last, I'd say, five years or so. Totally, yeah. yeah. Sure. So they used to be just like, you know, you're here for the, you're here for the rules. Shut up about the art. Oh, they love little chits right. that are square they can barely pick up and like <laughs> with zero art on them at all, just yeah. numbers and letters. Numbers and letters, right? <laughs> Designation H two one four. So 
Because these, these are actually quite quite nice, nice mm-hmm. art, colorful uh, pictures of marine life and, and so mm-hmm. forth. Some helpful. Looks like the um, iconography is pretty uh, cleanly done. What did you guys think of the iconography? Is it easy to follow? I think for the most part, because it's not only is it a clear icon that's different from others, but each of them also has a color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it uses iconography and color fairly well to differentiate the different players in the pieces. So, Ed, this is a streamlined version? Of- <laughs> well, there is an original game that I, I'm referring to called mm-hmm. Dominant Species. Oh, yeah. That right. came out oh, yes. in 2010. Yep. And this game would uh, probably put you in the... No, probably at least one more hour category. Instead of like <laughs> at least one oh to three, God. probably two to four hours. And Easily. that's, you know, with people kind of playing along. Okay, well, this new version of the game, that's a big change here. When you put your pawn down, you immediately take that action. And I think that really adds to the you know, dynamicism of the game. It feels a lot more actioning things happen right away and it, it speeds up the game in terms of you're not looking at the whole thing for well this is going to happen and that's mm-hmm. going to happen no it happened now mm-hmm. yeah that that is a big change from the original uh game and it's the the way the actions are displayed up the side of the board too is interesting because if you take the further down the the list of actions that you take the harder it is to do more actions because you can't do any actions that come before that so right. if you're placing your pieces, you can only place them lower on the action chain than other pieces you already have. To the right or lower, but yes. Oh, yeah, to the right. Yeah, that can be frustrating. Because <laughs> <You laughs> yeah. there's certain things that you want, because it's worker placement, there's mm-hmm. limited spaces. You mm-hmm. know your opponents are going to go for some juicy things, which may be right. lower on that scale than you really want to have to go. Mm-hmm. But you might be forced to go because you're going to lose out if you wait too long and start and place your uh, your actions too high. Mm. Yep. It's a big part of the game. It's like you're hoping that that action's going to be available. Because I want to do this action that's up here now while I can. But I know Mikey's eyeballing that domination because he was mm. grouching about not getting it last time. So yeah. he might just <laughs> jump remember. the gun and take it now. Yep. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a tough thing, too, to have, like, let's say you have three actions available to you. And you've only you've used one so far down the chart. Now you have to take an action to pull your actions back to go back up to the top of the chart again. And yeah, reset yourself. In a yeah, way. and it's painful because I'm super greedy. Everybody knows this. I've, I I <laughs> I don't keep that a secret. I don't want to waste actions. So mm-hmm. I'll, sometimes I'll risk it to hope somebody doesn't take the thing I want to do. Um, because if they do, then I only have a couple other things available to me beneath that. And yeah, you can up. maximize your pawn efficiency. Mm-hmm. That brings me to the other big change that's in this game. It that now having domination earns you more action pawns, which mm-hmm. means yeah. more actions you can do before having to take them all back. More well, everybody workers. knows yep. in a worker placement game, having more workers is awesome. And those actions are not just regular actions, they're special actions. They can occupy spots on the board that are not otherwise available unless you have a domination of a certain thing. That's right. It unlocks additional actions that you are otherwise prohibited from taking with your normal workers. That's why those white cylinders with the stickers on them are so, so, so important. I wanted every single one. 
<laughs> yeah, and and you were working hard at it, Evan. You had the the species. I think well, you had like three or four of them by the end of the game. Yeah, I did, impressive. which is actually pretty good. Yeah, you had a species that was very like diverse in the types of foods that it could eat, and that is kind of the heart of how you get domination is having control over that certain food type. That's right. And hey, as long if I'm at one and the two of you are at zero, I dominate. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be, you know, ten versus zero. I can all I need is just to be at least one just ahead one of you. One more than the other. Yeah, mm. that's right. So just staying enough ahead, not throwing all of my resources necessarily into that one trait. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able mm-hmm. to grab several of those uh, white markers, those those workers, and I got a lot of extra actions out of that. Oh, is that going to burn up all his? Yeah, is that going to kill me? Kill creatures? Not now. Wait, tell me what it's going to do, please. <laughs> oh no, you're fine for now. And then two turn, one turn. Oh, didn't from now. you know? Oh, you didn't move off. I mean, I said well, first of all, twelve. Yeah. First of all, the obvious thing is it turns into a vet no longer lands. So instead of having scored eight victory points, it scored one victory point. Thanks. Cool. All right. What else you got for me? That's the first thing it does. <laughs> so it um, makes it worthless. It does make it, uh, and eventually. Eventually, uh, um, these it's going to kill gonna my food up. too. The food is going to go. Got it. It's going to kill my uh, food too. Thanks. These Ed. things, these things. I mean, right now, none of those elements are affected by it. But oh well, maybe I'll just do another migrate action and move up all in your territory instead. Yeah. All right. Another interesting dynamic is, you know, you're trying to spread your species across the board because it's kind of an area control game as well, and. In order to survive in those spe- places on the board, you have to have enough food of the type that your species eat. Without the right food, you can't really survive there. Mm-hmm. What and happens so you, if you don't have enough food? You go extinct. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, basically those... you have to remove your pieces from the board? Right, yeah. exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you do spend an action to you know propagate your species to actually give birth to a new line of them. And depending on how many of them you have there, you get more. There's an element of chance in it, though, too, because you can spread your species there without food. No problem. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> if, the, if an event shows up on display, yeah. the, the, the certain cards have um survival event where you have to check to see if, if they have food. And if that comes up and you don't have food, bye-bye, cubes. Oh, yep. by the way, when you say bye-bye, cube, it goes back in the box, not in your bag. That's right. You don't get it back. So it's Gone. not a definite guarantee that you're going to have to produce food. So it is kind of a gamble. Not yes. like not there like an end of turn. Of yeah. Yeah. So it's not like a guaranteed end of turn thing. The cards that carry the extinction events and survival events, that you know they're in that deck somewhere. They are going to come out. So you, you're, it's just how long can you go before that eventually Are they shuffled out. into like the last third of the deck or can they pop up anywhere? The, the survival events occur, you know, throughout the whole deck. But the one that ends the game is near the bottom. Yeah, the right. other ones are just monkey wrenches, kind of. So, like, at some points in the game, you're choosing, you know, a card that's up on the display of, what is it, four or five cards uh, to activate depending on what you've done. So you'll say, I want this event to happen. There's a ton of interplay here between the different sort of segments of the game. And it all ties in, obviously. I I had to wonder while we were playing this game, how much playtesting went 
into this game because of so many interconnecting yeah. uh, in rules and events and other things. It had to be massive. My, my, my I hurt my brain thinking about it. It had <laughs> to balance. It likely did. Battleship this is an evolution of the previous dominant PC. <laughs> right, they had a good True. foothold to start at. Yeah, and GMT is no slouch when it comes to knowing how to mer- knowing how to handle a lot of rules. So, yeah, I mean, those they, are numbers, they come with a too. lot of experience. Yeah, they they love their numbers and balancing too. So, and also another factor that helps a game to balance in general is that it's competitive and you all start kind of on the same foothold. So, mm-hmm. people kind of check and balance each other with the things that they do. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Dominant Species Marine. Mike? I'm a big fan of the original Dominant Species, and this version is very streamlined in comparison, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) I like that the actions are happening right when they happen instead of having the robo-rally moment where you're trying to plan far ahead. So, for those reasons, I definitely will dig this game up. Ed? Like Mike, I really enjoy the original Dominant Species, but this is so much more dynamic and engaging while still having so many choices and depth to that strategy. So I'll dig this up and dominate the seas. Evan? Dominant Species Marine. It was both challenging and fun with lots of cool game mechanics. The special action pawns made me want to collect them all. It almost became a collection game for me. <laughs> I like the theme. I like the look, the feel. The pace was a bit long, but not insufferably long. Un- insufferably long. Good replayability, and I will be back to swim in these waters again. Dig it up. What is your threshold for enough or too many choices? Let us know. We are at Which Game First and all social media. Our last game up this week is Bluffoneer Dice Game, designed by Ken Gruel and Jeremy Posner, published by Big G Creative in 2021. Number of players, 3 to 6, ages 10 and up, playtime 15 minutes. All right, Mikey, tell us what be in the box. Oh, man, you're putting me on the pirate voice. (laughs) (laughs) Can't help it. The cover of the box is a fancified Jolly Roger surrounded by a beautiful blue filigree pattern that manages to work in bones, cutlasses, and the infamous fleur-de-lis, and has a window that puts the spooky bone dice on display. Inside you'll find two bone dice, 18 cards, a treasure map board, and 50 gold doubloons. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we tell you if we raise the Jolly Roger or scuttle this ship, Evan, open the log and give us the rules. <laughs> oh, gosh. How can you not talk like a pirate in this game? My God. <clears throat> Bluff and Deer Dice Game is a dice game. Yar! <laughs> it's stupid simple. Even a landlubber like yourself can learn it before the sun's past the yard. <laughs> My kind of game. <laughs> Each player receives a card. On each card is a pair of non-matching symbols from the faces of the dice. Players, in turn, will roll the dice. Rolling doubles produces a special result, such as players giving you money, or you're allowed to steal coins from other players, or you have to pay coins to your opponents. That's for doubles. Now, if the player rolls anything other than doubles, that's when the cards come into play. 
If your roll matches your card, all the other players have to dump a coin into the bank out of play. If your roll does not match your card, this opens up the table to the other players where they can shout out, Give me your booty! Basically claiming that they have the match. But you as the roller, if you believe them, you have to pay them a coin. If you think they're lying, you shout back, Bluffineer! <laughs> Hence the name of the game. And you make them reveal their card, call their bluff. If they were telling the truth, then the roller has to now pay them two coins instead of one. But if the roller catches that player in the bluff, then the bluffer has to pay the roller one coin. The bluffer then draws a new card, and at that point, player, the next player takes their turn rolling the bones. The game comes to an end when one player has all the booty. So grab your cutlass and weigh anchor for Dead Man's Bluff. <laughs> Avast. Avast. So guys, is this basically, I've never played Liar's Dice. Is this mm. a pirate-themed Liar's Dice? Is that what this game is? Not really. Not really. Not, exa- <laughs> not exactly, no, but it definitely has elements of that, yeah. It okay. does have, I mean, the bluffing elements of dice. Yes, it does. But the, uh, Liar's Dice, you have dice in a cup, you roll them. And then you look at them and you shout out a number and, and you no, know, you can either bluff or um, call them out to say, no, they didn't have that or not. This is not that. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I thought the dice were pretty cool in this thing. They, yeah, that was, was cool the best way. component of the game. So, Evan, yeah. you bought this game at like a... Yeah, I saw like, it at Target. Like like, uh, oh. Target for 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I'm all over that. Cool, di- cool looking dice. Give me. It is a nice looking box. It is. So the dice are shaped like bones and it's pretty cool the way they roll, right? You can obviously Mm -hmm, tell because one end lands on its side. So you know that's not correct. Mm -hmm. It's the one that lands flat that you read, right? That's yeah, right. we're always yep. looking for a way to do four-sided dice better, you know, and instead of those pointy little caltrops that you can't pick up, this was a clever way to do that. <laughs> but cardboard coins. Mm. Wah, wah. Yeah. yeah, they kind of unfortunately, you know, I'm sure for budgeting reasons, no doubt, totally missed a great opportunity there. If you had that jingle of the metal coins, ooh, that would have made the game. Yeah, better. this is the perfect game for accessorizing with your own mm-hmm. metal coins. Yeah. They sell tons of different ones out there that would be really good for this game. You guys played this game uh, where? At Evans? Yep. Yes, yes we did. in right. person. Go ahead, Evan. What did uh, you think? <laughs> the, um, the game's base. Okay, it's it's it was easy to learn. It's easy to understand the rules. So the threshold, this is a low entry game. Anybody mm-hmm. can play this game. It sort of, I think, pigeonholes you in a way because of the ratio at which the bluff pays off. In other words, I roll, I don't make it, uh, you know, it's not a doubles and it's not what my card is. The other player who shouts out that the, give me your booty is is wants you to call their bluff because they want those two coins that they get paid off instead of the one. Mm-hmm. But if they're but if they get caught in the bluff, they only have to pay back one coin. So it's really obviously to me that it encourages the bluffing aspect of this game. Which I mean, almost with every Why are you bluffing? Give me your beauty. Call me out if you dare. Your beauty. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but why not? Because right. you, it, you know, if you get caught, you only have to give up one. But if you, if, if if the bluff turned out to not be a bluff, then you, you owe two. So does that make the rules kind of flat? Like everybody's going to bluff every time, so really, there's no point. Um, sometimes, sometimes not because. 
Um, sometimes it's really clear that you're bluffing because mm -hmm. you definitely don't have that card. Give me, Give me your money. He said it first, but I'm saying it too. Finally. <laughs> I do not I have mean, that. I do. I have it. <laughs> Look at the triple psychology I'm using. <laughs> bluffing here. Yeah, you bluffing the bear. <laughs> One coin, please. Yeah, here. Two jollies. Uh, uh, give me the money. Give me the money. While wow, I'm back in this. Whoever doesn't call my bluff has to give me a buck. Fuck. Buffing it. The same rolls will come up a lot of times since it's only either pairs, which you don't even think about, or non-pairs, which is a limited number of rolls. And people can start to figure out what card you're actually holding on to after a while by what you didn't call out. Sometimes it's beneficial to be called out because, well, yes, you have to pay the coin, but you get to get a new card. That's true. Mm. You finally yeah. get to replace yeah, it. Yeah, that definitely. I'd be doing that all day long. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to call, you know, call out that I have the right thing, but you hold on to that same one card for such a long time oh. sometimes if the dice don't roll your pair, mm. you know, that it just, it kind of, I wish I could see more cards or have some way to switch that card out every once in a while. Because mm -hmm. mm. you know, once I started asking people to give me the booty and it started paying me and then, you know, if I were to call something different all of a sudden, it's like, all right, yeah, you've been doing the other one so long, it's probably not what you got. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> right. can only bluff so long with the same card. Yeah. Right. And like this game goes on for so long it could like uh, go yeah. on forever. <laughs> but and it we says only 15 minutes. Three people. Yeah, yeah no. unfortunately that doesn't hold true. Not at all. Cuz the this... money keeps changing hands so often and nobody gets eliminated, you know, like I was down to like one coin at one yeah, point you were and close then, to being eliminated, yeah, but you bounced right back. And I yeah. thought that was going to end the game. I think only when one person getting out could end the game, but Would uh, it go longer or shorter with six players? Longer. And well, um, it, would be, it depends if, if the rule is one person get eliminated ends the game, then it would be shorter. But unfortunately, it says all the booty is in one person's pile. That means all six people have to get or five of the six people have to get eliminated. And even with three people, we couldn't eliminate anybody. So I think it would be crazy long with six. Mm. Yeah. But but with the money less spread out and more people bluffing along the way, you might eliminate some people faster with six. But which would mean they'd have to sit around for a little while while waiting for the game to end. Yeah, that's mm. kind of unfortunate. Yeah, player elimination. So how long did you do the pirate voice while you were playing the game? <laughs> oh, I think we mm. kept it up pretty well. <laughs> it, 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 it was so went. fun to say, give me your booty. Give I wanted to booty. say even when I didn't have it. <laughs> All right, Mikey, cue the pullout. Give me your booty. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, intrepid explorers. Tell us, are we digging up or burying Bluffanir? Mike? I've played plenty of games like this, and even with the same theme. The dice are interesting, but overall, <laughs> this got old very quick for me, so I'd have to bury it. Ed, what say ye? I did enjoy the rolling of weird dice and bluffing your friends, but it starts to overstay its welcome if the game drags on without a winner. It works as a light filler game, but I usually look for a little more depth to my game. So I'll bury it to hide it from you bluffing ears. <laughs> <laughs> well, blow me down. Evan, what say ye? Bluffing your dice game. Very easy to learn and play. I think it's weak on theme. 
And the playtime of 15 minutes is an exaggeration at best. <laughs> the game just seems to keep rubber banding between the players. It's too bad. I like the bluffing mechanic. I think it works well. But when you boil it down, it's like playing dreidel. So to Davy Jones Locker, it goes. Bury it. Evan, you sounded like you went from pirate to Hagrid to just Evan. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I eased out Love of it, it and, then, and then brought it back at the very end. Like, well, do you love your bluffing game, or are you bluffing us now? <laughs> no, we are at Wish Game First on all social media. All right, me hearties, that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you're doing. If you would like more perks and content from us, you can go to our website and become a supporter today. And for just $3 a month, you will get access to many episodes of our exclusive podcast for patrons only called Bonus Bonus Points. Points. Give us a shout out on social media, a like, a review, a comment. We'd love to hear from you or we'd love for you to review us. Happy gaming, explorers. What be that on the horizon, reptile or cephalopod? When their mirror cast start running, I don't look behind, I keep running with them. I don't want to be a crustacean again. 